Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to your NBA Finals Hangover edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. But we are just getting started here. We got the whole offseason coming up. And that's going to start with the recently vanquished Cleveland Cavaliers offseason preview. Also got to talk about a promising point guard out of France in this year's draft. Frank Tilakina could be a target of the Knicks or Mavericks late in the top 10. We're sponsored today by Betterment. Betterment.com slash cap space. You can get up to six months of no fees with them. So let's start here, Danny. We just saw this Cleveland team absolutely dominate in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They, of course, could not defend the Warriors. That was their undoing. They scored extremely well in this series so what do we think it is that the cleveland cavaliers need to be more competitive with the Warriors? that to me is the starting point before we can begin to discuss their offseason ideally i think the best i mean beyond just you know like more star talent which is hard for them to do and we'll talk about that i would say players that can switch defensively but can still credibly hit open shots because you can't sacrifice their spacing to fill the defensive woes because then you just create all new problems that's an important point and we look at how good lebron was in these finals statistically i mean this is arguably a better golden state defense than the ones that he went up against although andre guadala is not quite as good now dream on green maybe was better the last couple of years but he is still great and also the warriors were scoring so well they almost didn't need to defend quite as well we didn't see also as much of the green at center lineups that are their best defensive units against cleveland but the reason I think that James, I don't know that he, well, you know, maybe he is, maybe he is a better player at 32 than he was at 30 because he just couldn't hit a jump shot. Like maybe that's the biggest issue. And then remember last year too, he really struggled in a couple of the games in last year's finals until he started hitting the jumper and then he was on fire after that. So, and he shot the ball well in this playoff series. So maybe that's what it is, but also you could point to the fact that they just have so much more spacing around him, certainly than they did in 2015 and maybe even in 2016 as well with love not playing as well in that series and they didn't have Corver at that point either or Darren Williams as a backup point guard who is a pretty good shooter even though he didn't shoot it well in this series so that's been a big part of why he was able to have this historic averages against one of the best defensive teams of all time averaging a triple double on very good efficiency in these finals I don't think he had a single bad game which is pretty impressive uh, over five games and then to, to also pretty impressive that they lost it in five games with LeBron games having, having a great game every time but yeah I mean they they got to get two-way guys and I mean, now it is kind of telling that they didn't even really have one-way guys defensively. Like even guys like Shumpert can get into guys and pressure, but he's not a great team defender. Not that heady will make some mental mistakes. You know, same thing, Smith, Irving, those guys as well. So those guys are even, you know, for defensive specialists, they're not really that good defensively. But I agree with you. I mean, and they need someone with size. They got to have someone who can guard Kevin Durant and hit a shot on the other end. Of course, your issue there is with the resources available that may not be likely without a 
trade. Right, because Cleveland, and before we get into some of the other parts of their kind of asset portfolio, I think it's worth noting just the other parts of it. So in outside of current players on the roster, they still owe two first round picks this year's and then in 2019 to the Hawks because of the Kyle Korver trade. Yeah, so those that two one, are out. Top and, 10 protected, by the way. And due to the noting. Stepien rule, they can't then trade the 2018 pick or 2020 this summer without making another move, without getting a first round pick in that range. Then they do have Chetty Osman, an intriguing player they took in the second round a couple of years ago. And they also have a couple of just kind of, I think they have one extraneous second round pick, but they also don't have their own, from what I recall, through 2020. So they have a lot of these things outgoing. And also in terms of how they can spend money, they're limited to basically around the taxpayer mid-level, which is 5.2 million if Gilbert wants to use it. And then they still have a trade exception for Mike Dunleavy, which is worth about the same amount of money. Yeah. Osmond, the number 31 pick in 2015, as a second rounder, they can pay him whatever they want, but that might end up being a bad thing for them considering how taxed out they are going to be. Before we get into just if they keep this team together and try to fill in around the margins, if I were running this team, I would be shopping the crap out of Kevin Love right now. Love, three years left on his contract, but it has a player option on the last of those. Age 28 already, coming off knee surgery, had a very good playoffs, at least against Boston. Remember, he actually struggled in the Toronto series, only averaging like 13 points, uh, I think, through that series but and then had a couple of good games against golden state a couple of real clunkers that hurt them but i think it's just kevin love can be an excellent player and doesn't need the ball to be effective the spacing that he provides is great the the rebounding his ability to post up on switches draw fouls that's all very important his passing ability at the elbow is still underutilized but but very useful and underrated defensive intelligence as well he was great defensively i thought in that boston series but there's one team in the league that I still think, yeah, he had a couple of good offensive games, but he's not dominating most of the time offensively unless he's just hitting open threes. And then he just got cooked every single time defensively. A lot of that, again, was mental mistakes that put him out on an island. But you need someone who's going to be a positive there, who can switch, who can really move LeBron James to more of a full-time role at the four at this point in his career when that position is mostly manned by combo forward types and your chief competition with their best lineups plays Kevin Durant at the four most of the time so I would be looking very seriously to move him would that be your approach as well it would be because you mentioned he's he's 28 he turns 29 before the start of next season he is an old 28 right now his birthday's in September so you think about the physical issues that he's had some of those are not you know recurring like yeah. the Kelly Olenek shoulder issue but when he's had knee issues and things like that you start to worry about it his yeah, game had repeated knee issues right his i think that his game can age well especially because he's very skilled but the problem on the is end. on the offensive end and that's exactly where i was getting on the defensive end if he loses another step or half step he becomes an even bigger issue and guys who can't switch and who cannot protect the rim are going to become an, an endangered species in terms of the starting fives of high-end teams they can still be an important part of regular season rotations they can still be a part of good playoff teams but the best of the best now and probably moving forward are just going to be able to attack those players pretty mercilessly. And I don't think the Warriors went after love enough. They they did it at certain points. So yes, I agree with you that I would be going in that direction. And the other reason why 
I would be well, shopping yeah, one, love. One more thing on on that defense. So Ty Lue made some veiled references to that in his post game comments, where he basically said, you know, we weren't giving up split cuts and back cuts, but then they just they went after our weaker defenders every time. You know, he <laughs> he said that he didn't mention love. You know, Irving certainly is involved there too, right? When they were doing the one three pick and roll and killing them with that, you know, they could not get Irving switched on to Kevin Durant. That would have been a disaster. But love, I mean, he just. I don't think he had more than maybe like one stop on a switch in this entire series, you know, after that famous one that he had last year. Um, Yeah, Steph Curry wasn't healthy last year, by the way. Did we ever mention that? Uh, But it's, uh, yeah, so you're going to say the other reason you're thinking of moving him, though. The other reason is that the positives he brings to a team in general are not as specifically valuable to Cleveland because he's not going to ever be a high usage guy for them when you have LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. Now, if you moved Kyrie Irving, which I don't necessarily support, I think you listen with him, but you don't expect to ever make a deal. You're just hoping maybe that somebody makes this really stupid mistake and overvalues him way too much. If they treat him as like a top five player in the league, then sure. But other than that, I think he's a good fit with LeBron and his individual talent. You know, the ability to create something out of nothing for him is incredibly valuable. So if you have those two guys, Kevin Love is is useful, but a lot of the value that he brings is a little bit superfluous. And so you need somebody who just does different things. And we've talked about their lack of two-way players before. And I think that's an important part of this. So the problem with love in this context is we've just laid out the idea that he's good, but not not the piece that will put you over the top. That's exactly why Cleveland's going to move him. So how is going to move him? You mean why we think he is? Right, 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 right. And so the problem is, if that's how we feel, and we don't know if Cleveland feels the same, of course, why would another team treat him as the missing piece and give up something that Cleveland could either use themselves or turn into something that they can use themselves? And for me, this all ties in with Paul George. Like, I understand that Paul George would be a massive upgrade for Cleveland, by all means. He would be an important player who, again, takes some of the strengths and weaknesses in a better fit with them, specifically against the Warriors. But Kevin Love, yes, he has an extra year on his contract but he's less valuable as a player right now. I think he's going to age worse than George and he doesn't help the Pacers. So basically then what you're looking at is either the Pacers making a mistake with their new, you know, with Pritchard and everything else, or another team stepping in as an intermediary to make that happen. Well, I wouldn't say that he doesn't help the Pacers. I think he's a good player. And, you know, if, if your goal was to stay as good as you can next year while losing Paul George, then yeah. And he, he's, you know, the shooting that he and Turner could bring could give a lot of space for as yet unknown players who aren't on the roster <laughs> to create. Uh, but I agree with you. Presumably, if you're moving on from George, your timeline has changed quite a bit as the Pacers and it being good over the next couple of years doesn't do you much good. You probably want to rebuild from a draft trick standpoint. To me, where love makes the most sense to the extent that these sorts of places do make sense is a team that is not good now, but needs to make some improvement and just get into the playoffs where a GM kind of needs to keep his job job and so that brings about the possibility maybe of a three-way trade where you could have cleveland sending love to one of these downtrodden franchises that has some talent around him and love also you mentioned him, he's underutilized offensively right now like he's a four man who can come off screens you know he's a great passer i mean if you watch like some of the old shooting sets that they used to run for him in minnesota those are a lot more guardable than they used to be just because there's so much more switching and so many more combo forwards but the hope is that love could go 
bludgeon those guys down in the post a little bit i'm a little skeptical if he could do that or not but if he put on a little bit more weight again you know his goal has been to get way thinner if you really wanted him to be at his best offensively he actually could probably put on 15 pounds to where he you just he could just back down on those type of guys and force a double team whereas you know he wasn't really able to do that in this series he doesn't have the health heft that he used to in the post but yeah he's still a fabulous offensive player spaces the floor he's got a ton of versatility to his jumper I mean, you don't see power forwards coming off screens you don't see power forwards at 610 faking guys taking a step to their left still shooting a three you don't see power forwards who can get to the foul line the way he can on jump shots or, or in the post with all the tricks he still is effective on the offensive glass so who are some franchises that might say hey you know what like we've got some young assets maybe more young assets than we know what to do with we could entice indiana with those we don't want to take paul george because he's going to just leave after this year directly we know he's going to leave whereas love we'll have him for two years we can maybe build something and then you know yeah granted he'll be like 31 at that point but we could potentially re-sign him or it's just a way to not lose my job here if we like could make the playoffs this year and then we still have him under contract for another year and he also is a guy who i think just would make makes your young guys look really good because of the spacing that that he could provide so do any franchises come to mind that kind of fall into that window for you well i would prefer paul Millsap playing with nikola Jokic. denver is the team that stands out to me for those who've listened to the podcast for a long time you and i negotiated a fake trade with those two teams as the principals back in the mock trade deadline in 2016 and the fit make and that was before we knew Jokic was going to be this kind of a passer and the logic there is Denver, it's going to be hard for them to become, you know, the, a super team. They have good assets, but they can become this offensive force that is undeniable and that can take them to a level that they wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. And they can become, you know, maybe they can host playoff series and become a, one of the most fun teams in the league. And Love can bring that at a reasonable cost in the near term and, you know, reasonable in terms of salary. And so you don't have to worry about the long term financial part of it like you do with Millsap, because if you're paying him a four year max, that's going to get priced yeah now of course with Millsap, you just sign with cap space you don't have to actually and who knows whether Millsap wants to go he probably doesn't but uh and then maybe they could move they they could avoid having to overpay Daniel Gallinari just let him leave at that point but and they could also wouldn't have to send much salary back to the Pacers which would appeal to the Pacers they could just take love into cap space if they wanted to that said an Emmanuel Moutier maybe could be in that trade I don't you're not going to want to give up Jamal Murray or Jokic obviously uh Wilson Chandler doesn't do much for the Pacers but maybe he could be part of a three-way and and Denver or the Pacers could take back some bad salary from Cleveland as well I mean you know I don't know that it's his bad salary but if he can't play against the Warriors or Boston Channing Fry might fall in this category or, or or Shumpert and maybe Wilson Chandler could help the Cavaliers as well again you know the Cavs are they're probably have to throw some stuff in there as well in terms of more protected picks or Chetty Osmond I mean that's basically about all they've got in the asset category well something else um, that makes Denver yeah. intriguing in terms of specifically with the Pacers is that they have all these kind of sweetener guys that actually make sense yeah. for Indiana So their army of shooting guards, whether you want to go near term with Will Barton or long term with Malik Beasley or, at you know, like Juancho Hernan Gomez, I think would be a nice fit with where they're going. Like they could do some cool stuff offensively if they have Juancho and Miles Turner. And of course, Juancho would be largely superfluous. And then the other guy, if Cleveland wanted to go in this direction, and I would completely not support this, but if they wanted to include, if Cleveland had an interest in Ken Fareed as kind of being their backup center, then you start to get into some some things where maybe then they can take him on 
Shumpert back and get into some of those those discussions as well. I'm not saying I would support that if I were David Griffin or whoever's running Cleveland at that point, but I could see that making them intrigued as well. Yeah, Fareed has two years left on his deal now at, at about $13 million a season. That's an interesting one. We'll get to some of the others here in a moment because these are kind of interesting to think about. But first, this from Betterment. You can learn more about them at betterment.com slash capspace. They're the largest independent automated investing service out there. They make it easier, more straightforward, and less expensive to invest via smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice. The kicker is it's all at a lower cost than more traditional financial services. The way their pricing works... Their basic service is just 0.25% charge per year, or you can go up to their premium plan that's 0.5% per year and actually get unlimited calls with the licensed financial advisors. And they're not charging you on a per transaction basis. It's just a flat fee. So there aren't any conflicts or potential conflicts of interest there. More than 150,000 customers choose Betterment's advanced advice algorithms. They have some cool tools like their tax impact preview or smart deposit where if you get above a certain amount in your checking account it'll just automatically invest it for you so the way to get started with them again betterment.com slash cap space that'll get you up to six months of no fees once again betterment.com slash cap space betterment investing made better before we get on to more of these three-way scenarios let's say that that indiana were interested in love for paul george what would that deal look like other than just you know straight up those salaries would work but in which direction to the assets need to be flowing love not as good of a player as paul george in the modern game but also under contract for a year long i think of george as the superior asset and indiana would certainly have some levers they can use because he is the best player to fit what my what cleveland is looking for that is reasonably available they could go after lesser guys but i think well he's, if he, if indiana says hey we we want to stay good which i think would be foolish they should rebuild but if they're like hey we want to stay good who else are you getting other than kevin love that's uh, for one year of paul george that's going to keep you afloat so if that's really what their motivation is i'm not so sure that they do have quite as much leverage as you might be saying because they just there's a feeling that maybe hey in that market they can't rebuild they've never picked higher than 10th since like you know the early 90s maybe even the late 80s uh so they i don't know if there's a feeling that that market can take it uh as far as rebuilding i've never really cared for that line of thinking but some teams think that way and yeah it works super well for the knicks but yeah i mean if if they trade paul george and re-sign jeff teague i'm probably going to go crazy just because the idea being that these things are just too so so conflicting yeah. to me in their well fundamental maybe nature. maybe he could be a nene if, if you get him on a cheap enough deal but it seems like that's that, that, that seems unlikely, unlikely but it's possible yeah. so the other thing before we get into this is i floated the idea of that you that they should listen listen to offers on Kyrie, not really shop him because i think he's just a special player and it's hard to think of that really working is that how you would approach it or do you feel differently than i do his defensive limitations are a concern but i think in any series against the Warriors just about no matter who you have on your team is because remember James is gonna be getting older at some point some point he's got to drop off for even just a little bit uh and they weren't close to winning this series this year uh, although they did better than I had maybe thought that they would but Kyrie could just go crazy in a seven game series in certain games and just be unstoppable and he gives you that upside even if he's not as consistent 
consistent, especially defensively, uh, on a game-to-game basis. So, yeah, I mean, if you could get, uh, I'm just not sure what other star is available. You know, yeah, if you could get Chris Paul, which they can't because they can't do a sign-and-trade. Uh, almost certainly they would be too close to the apron. I can give you the math on that in a little bit. But, yeah, I'm just not sure who would be out there that gives them a better chance to beat Golden State than uh lebron james does and i'm sure some people will talk about that tristan thompson is being an option here but if you lose tristan thompson you have to get somebody who plays a similar role to tristan thompson and you're probably not going to be able to get that yeah it's it would definitely be difficult for them i think if they lost Kyrie, and Kyrie is young enough to keep getting better maybe that's your hope too is that he can really become a consistent top 10 type player to maybe be as good as steph curry is and maybe that's how you start getting there if you're if you're cleveland and by the way going back to that sign and trade thing the apron is six million dollars over the luxury tax so that's going to be set at approximately 127 million dollars next season as of right now even stripped down just about totally bare they are two million dollars over that apron and that's with only nine players under contract too so if you fill out your roster even at 1.5 million per slot you're now over 10 million dollars over the apron and really to get under which you have if you make a sign and trade you have to not only finish the transaction under the apron but you also have to stay under it for the entire season you are hard capped there so they would have to dump probably Channing Fry, Iman Shumpert, and J.R. Smith if they wanted to take back somebody who made a significant salary in a sign and trade. And if it was if it were Chris Paul making thirty five million, there's almost no way to make the math work. Want to get back so, into love trades? Yes, desperately. Uh, who, <laughs> give me another option here. Do you want to go with with my favorite one in terms of the emotions? <laughs> He would look really I'm good next home. to Car- he would look really good next to Carl Anthony Towns. Oh man, that uh, and that starts to get a little more realistic. I think in terms of Indiana gets a top ten pick in this year's draft, not a top five, but a top ten at, at number seven. It's supposed to be a good draft. Minnesota has other assets as well. They could maybe include Zach Levine in that trade. They could maybe include Chris Dunn if he still has any value Tyus Jones there could be enough value there that if Indiana really was willing to face reality that they could get something that I think would be fair and if you you think about for example 2007 Ray Allen had I think like was a little bit older than Love probably about the same level of stature in the league maybe a little bit higher than Love is right now and had I think three years left on his deal at that point instead of Love's two although there is a downside there because if love like got hurt or something then he could just opt in as well which would be bad but you know you have to imagine love probably would not want to go back to minnesota but there's a new regime there. there's a lot more talent i think the reason he wanted to leave was because there was an old regime and there was a lot less talent back then so yeah th- that would certainly be rather ironic however uh but that's one well, that i think you, could, you could mentioned work. my favorite part of that too if if they wanted a little bit of a sweetener for indiana they could also include al jefferson in the trade and they can get closer to bringing the band back together yeah that's not to that uh and also minnesota would be able to just to take love into their cap space as well so that would be another reason why indiana might do that they don't have to take back any bad salary maybe they could take on like a cole aldrich or something like that but uh, nothing too terrible and that could that could be a pretty nasty team for some reason by the way this is an aside like all these reports like oh 
Minnesota. They want to upgrade a point guard, Derek Rose. Like they want to draft a point guard. They need a combo forward. They need somebody who can play the four and, and shoot the ball. They need someone who can play the three for that matter uh, as well. I mean, they just have no forwards who are any good on this team, especially with the um, Bielitsa out with this navicular fracture. Who knows when he's going to be back? But anyway, that's an aside, but I'm, I don't think that's necessarily correctly identifying what their needs are. Um, all right, give me another one. I think the next one I would go with is not necessarily my favorite fit, but I think that there's a logic to it, which is the Phoenix Suns. The Suns have tried to use cap space in recent years to add kind of star level talent. They have been unsuccessful, most notably their pursuit of Marcus Aldridge, and love would make them meaningfully better. They also have so many young guys that they don't really need more of them, and they could include some in the trade too, of course. Reports have indicated that Ryan McDonough is in the last year of his contract. Robert Sarver, their owner, famously, that's why Steve Kerr ended up leaving, does not believe in extending contracts before they have ended. And not to say that McDonough is richly deserving of an extension. And they haven't made the playoffs since 2010. And they are certainly, while they did tank, they, they did quote unquote the right thing. They shut down Bledsoe, et cetera. I still think there's going to be some pressure to be a lot better this season if McDonough wants to stick around. And Love could certainly provide them that because Phoenix probably has like the worst fours in the league as of right now. And they have plenty of assets too. I mean, they not only have the number four pick this year, they have Bender, they have Chris, they've got TJ Warren, they've got all their picks picks going forward they've got that pick from miami in 2018 top seven protected 2021 miami pick there's enough there to get a deal done for sure it would just be a question of calibrating exactly what it'd be whether indiana likes bender or chris or or what have you to or warren to see what would have to happen there and do you think that would be a playoff team in the West if they got Love? If let's say they kept Warren, so it's Bledsoe, Booker, Warren, Love, and they've got plenty of cap space still. They sign a free agent center. They let Alex Len go. I think they're probably top eight on talent. Whether they stay healthy or not is an open question, but I think that's the more pertinent one. You get into the question of yeah. you know like I think you're comparing them to like Memphis and OKC. I think they're probably full strength better than those teams. I don't know about that. Uh, they'll never stop anybody with that team. That's true. Yeah. You know, so you're you're counting you're counting on that being like a top five offense. But remember, we're also counting on like... OKC. OKC had just like this ridiculous crunch time success last year, and if they can't bring that back, then it'll be a challenge. And they were, from what I recall, they were reasonably healthy during the regular season. And Memphis, you know, they have their own stuff. So I, I think they're in the mix. I don't think it's like a lock or anything like that. But I think they would they would be in the conversation. They would certainly be more relevant than they have been since the year that they won was that 49 games and didn't make the playoffs 48 games 48 2013 14 yeah um all right a few other quick hitters here i think those are the three that really come to mind uh, orlando i think if it were still rob hennigan there you could definitely see them and they could really use what loves brings in terms of just having some shooting but they're committed to playing aaron gordon more at the four now jeff weltman coming in you have to imagine that that's with a man it's not with a win now mandate he's got some time there i think he's got to try to build up the talent pace even more but they have a that pick number six that could potentially be used uh to lure love to go to the pacers but that almost seems like it might even be too much to give up especially for them because i don't you know they're still so far away in my opinion but love certainly could allow guys like gordon and alfred payton room to work but i mean when you're just i mean what is love getting you there he's get maybe getting you to like you know 35 40 wins you know that, that doesn't make a lot of sense and they're still i mean they still got to figure out a way to get some star talent on this team and that number six pick 
because their best option for doing that so i would say probably not them and then the knicks you know with the number eight pick doesn't really seem like you know phil jackson at least to his credit has been honest about where they are as a franchise that they you know are not going to be a contender may not make the playoffs again next year atlanta if they lost paul Millsap, maybe they might want to get love he actually wouldn't be a bad fit with dwight howard potentially although it's a pretty mobile defensive front court at, at this point but maybe if uh, travis schlank feels like he needs to keep the team relevant still that'd be something they could do i don't know if they quite have the assets though to go to please indiana there i mean they're they're still their pick is not that good they've got you know some guys like torian prince or whatever but those guys are supposed to be part of the future so i don't think they have enough to entice indiana sacramento just doesn't seem like they are going to be in that mode but you know they certainly have the ammo to do it with five and ten but i think they're still going to continue trying to rebuild indications are that they're just going to try and take on some bad contracts for this year and really do the rebuilding right but you never know with, with vivek obviously and then portland i they have the three first rounders this year but they're not very high i don't know that that's that they have enough ammo they're going to be trying to dump salary anyone that they would trade to indiana to match the salary would be a a bad contract i think that's about all i got one more for me not necessarily my favorite fit but houston i think he's a better ryan anderson i mean they're not the same guy but they're similar in certain ways and so if they could find a taker for ryan anderson and kind of do that too for i don't think that taker would be the would be the pacers but getting that sort of an upgrade I, i ruled them out because they don't have enough to entice the Pacers to do the deal. Beverly would be intriguing for them because he's just cost controlled for a couple of years and so they could kind of use him if they didn't want to fully tank. He could be a value to them. Sam Decker, I think, could be a useful piece in their rotation. So if they don't want to fully tank, then they could just take love back themselves. I mean, I would rather have love than anything that Houston is going to send back. That's and fair. and the, the, their best asset is Clint Capella and they already have Miles Turner. What about more of just okay, we can't get Paul George, but but we want to just try to get some more versatile players. Do do any deals stick out to you more in that realm? I mean, maybe among uh, some of these teams that we're talking about, I don't think Phoenix has anyone that they'd be interested in. Denver, maybe Wilson Chandler and like, you know, Gary Harris or something like that. Maybe that could be something that they could look at. Maybe throw in Will Barton there too. Uh, That might be, Gary Harris can be real good though. So I I think that's a lot to give up. And um, but maybe if they see, you know, Jamal Murray as a two, which I don't, I see him as a one, he needs to run pick and roll, but they say we're going to play Moutier and Murray together. We can give up on Harris. I don't think they can. These are one guy you can defend on the wing, but that might be a thought. Um, well, I mean, they could also give up yeah. Yusuf Nurkic and that pick from Memphis. Those would be really nice assets to throw into this trade. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually think Denver is is a nice trade partner for for that sort of reason as well. I don't think the mellow option is really necessarily on the table. That would be, of course, the sports writer's dream. I mean, the, especially the New York the New York writer's dream would be the mellow mellow for love deal. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. But and, I like and I've Denver's made the pick. case that I thought actually that mellow could help them a little bit more than love. Although perhaps love played a little bit better in the playoffs than I thought he would. So I'm not sure I, I believe that necessarily. But I still think you know mellow can move his feet at least a little bit better than Kevin love can if not really that great in a switch against someone like kd or or steph curry minnesota doesn't really have anything on their team right now that would interest cleveland 
the Knicks don't. I don't think Atlanta really does. Portland, no, I don't really. I mean, maybe Mo Harkless, but Mo probably can't shoot quite well enough for for optimal. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of these great three and D players who aren't stars that are out there, and and most of those are already on really good teams. Like if you're, there, it's amazing how like if you have a good three and D player, you're usually a good team, isn't it? <laughs> Shock of shocks. So they they wouldn't necessarily want to uh, trade for Kevin Love uh, with the Cavs. I mean, certainly they're still in theory would be a fit with boston for like jay crowder and jalen brown or something like that although i don't i don't really don't see the Cavs in boston making a trade that doesn't seem to make much sense to me uh so that's uh i mean i still think just emotionally it's very difficult for them to do that love really wanted to go there lebron brought him in he signed the contract to be there he, he re-signed to be there he was supposedly this big part of their championship team even though he really wasn't that much um so yeah i mean i i definitely think i'd be looking very seriously to move him and there may not be a deal out there they may not be able to get paul george jimmy butler certainly they can't get who has two years left on his contract instead of the one for george let's uh we talked about what they need i think a few other things they kind of need on the fringes and we'll get into maybe their free agent options momentarily i think they need more depth at center i mean they basically could use one more traditional center to just bang protect the rim i don't doesn't even necessarily have to play against golden state but just a, a guy who could help you know maybe a veteran minimum type of ring chaser signing a backup point guard because jaron williams is going to be a free agent maybe someone who can actually run a pick and roll would be nice so lebron doesn't have to basically be the backup point guard those uh, look look to be their other needs obviously more uh, in addition to the combo forward you know three and d type of guy that we talked about already and that ties in with something we talked about very early why it's so hard for cleveland is that they don't have that many options to do this they have maybe that trade exception they have the mid-level exception and they and so you're probably going to be relying a lot on minimum contracts they can get better guys for the minimum than many teams because they're going to be competing for a championship with lebron and everything else that they have but they just don't have that much money so some of these players that are looking for maybe their last big contract, Cleveland can't offer that. There is no realistic way for them to do that. And that ties in with the two biggest fits for me are two former LeBron James foes, James Johnson and PJ Tucker, both of whom would be wonderful fits for what Cleveland wants to do, but I just don't think they have the money to pay it. Yeah, Tucker, maybe if they want enough years. But now we get into the other issue too that we need to talk about before we can discuss them taking on more salary or uh, re-signing their own free agents, which we have to talk about as well. Will Dan Gilbert pay? Because, you know, I mentioned where they are in terms of the apron. That's already, you're already six million over the tax there. They also are going to be in the repeater tax this year this will be their third uh i'm sorry this will be their fourth straight year in the tax so they, they will be paying it this year and in part because they actually went into the tax in 2015 after they started the season under the cap and and signed james it would have been nice if they could have avoided it there but they obviously had to make the moves that they did to be competitive in that season and now what that does is that the repeater tax basically adds a dollar to each tax bracket right so for your first tax bracket it's every five million dollars it goes up how much you have to pay so under the normal tax it's a dollar 50 per for the first five million dollars basically so you're paying 7.5 million dollars in addition to the five million you're paying in salary now bump that bracket up by another dollar so now you're paying two dollars and fifty cents per dollar so for your first five million dollars in salary now you're paying 
12.5 million. And then it goes up to 175 under the normal tax for the next 5 million, 275 under the repeater tax, then 225, 325 under the repeater tax, and so on. It basically goes, keeps going up 50 cents for every $5 million increment. But the upshot of that essentially is that for every $5 million in salary they add at the level that they're going to be at, that's probably going to cost Dan Gilbert between 20 and $30 million on top of just paying the guy the $5 million. So Dan, of course, will have to ask himself, hey, is it really worth it? There were some rumblings this year that LeBron James was displeased with some of the even minor cost-cutting moves that they made, even though I thought David Griffin was wise to wait and they got some pretty good guys in the buyout market and, and did as well as could have been expected. Although I still think that the Corver trade was a mistake. I think they should have used that pick on someone who could play some more defense. But nonetheless, you know, they could have gotten PJ Tucker. I don't know if he would have won the series for them against Golden State, but he would have fit, I think, a lot better than Corver did in any event. But so Dan Gilbert has to say, hey, you know, is this guy really that good that like $30 million in cash we got to pay because we got this guy? Oh, but there's the little matter of LeBron James free agency in the summer of 2018. Yeah, it's weird to have a summer where he's actually not exerting leverage on ownership because he signed that two-year contract to you know for the to keep the early bird structure so he's not a free agent this year but of course he is a free agent next year and yeah but the last two times that there was leverage it wasn't realistic for him to leave because the first time he had just come back one year before amidst all this and the second year he just won the championship and there was really nowhere else to go last year but now you know we're hearing all these rumblings kevin o'connor wrote a piece i've mentioned that i've been told uh, this rumor as well i i'm I maintain a healthy bit of skepticism, but, but hey, I mean, uh, and it's interesting. Actually, this will be an interesting aside. All right. So who has the motivation to get that rumor out there, right? Like, I mean, number one, you probably think it would be surprisingly LeBron's camp, right? Like get that article out there. And now Dan Gilbert, who supposedly things have deteriorated and James even referenced that in that uninterrupted segment. Uh, how angry his family still was with Gilbert when he moved back and now he had to bury the hatchet and I'm sure there's still some simmering resentment there and there should be because Gilbert uh, really was a total jackass at that point but it's uh, you might as well leak that because and the the only there's no real downside because now Gilbert is scared and maybe he's willing to pay up more you know that's that could be one reason why this rumor is getting out there at this point. I'm sure you could also have optimistic people in LA, considering it generally ties in with those teams, like, hey, LeBron James being interested in us, that makes us buzzier, not only then, but for current free agents. The idea of, hey, you might get the chance to play with LeBron James, that's awfully exciting. Yeah. Or any Eastern Conference team that, you know, wants it to seem like he's going to go to the other conference, you know, that's like... Or so Discord and the only team, the team that's beating the crap out of all of them. Yes. Uh, anyway it's just interesting to, to think about that but it's and when you're hearing stuff third or fourth hand you got to take it with a healthy grain of salt for these reasons but let's say gilbert greenlights the spending and maybe maybe what would have to happen is they move channing fry great chemistry guy but you know they move him at the deadline to save tax money in this case because they've already paid a lot of his salary and Ty Lue doesn't seem to think he can play against boston and golden state which is probably the two most likely teams that they're going to face in the last two rounds of the playoffs so there's no reason to keep his seven million on the books or Shumpert maybe they could move him you know how do you feel about Shumpert on the Nene test right now by the way I think he fails it right now not only yeah. because because he's he's just a little bit too expensive and he doesn't bring enough to the table he's a good defender but he's not reliable enough in that way and then offensively he not only shoots too much but he's not good at shooting and so that ties in I also for players like him you really he's don't injury like injury prone too right and you don't like player options with with guys like him because the assumption is that the player is always going to 
do it correctly. So if if you end up getting value for him next year, let's say he ends up passing the Nene test, then he's going to decline the option and you're going to have to pay him. If he doesn't live up to expectations, then great, you're paying him 11 million in 2018-19. Yeah, only two years left though at 10 million though. I mean, that's think about back in the old days. It basically was, you know, if you were making 5 million, that's the equivalent of what it's going to be like. Yeah, once I mean, it's almost the, it's almost the non-taxpayer mid-level. The non-taxpayer mid-level is like 8.4 next year. Right, yeah. So it's not that bad of a contract and he could very well opt out. I mean, I think if he opted out, he could get more than $11 million in guaranteed money. That's usually one of the tests for it. Uh, but in any, any event, those are the financial constraints. The mini mid-level starts at $5.2 million next year. Most you can give out is a three-year contract with 4.5%, or I'm sorry, 5% annual raises under the new agreement. Possible targets, we mentioned P.J. Tucker and James Johnson. They may be too expensive. Tucker, maybe if you went the full three years, it's possible, but he's 32 already. That might even turn into a bad contract by the end, but what do they care? They shouldn't uh, because they're trying to be good this year. Uh, I think Tony Allen would be a very interesting name. Just give them, I mean, I know he has these crazy limitations offensively and you know, the Warriors have played him in a playoff series and played him off the floor, though he was also injured in, in that series. But he could just give them some force, some level of disruption defensively. Again, we're talking about, you know, a pretty cheap area. Allen has indicated an intention to return to Memphis and said he doesn't need to break the bank. But, you know, that could change if he wants to, if a team like Cleveland shows interest. He hasn't been a free agent in quite some time. And it gets really thin from there. I mean, Tabo Cephalosha is intriguing, but he's not really a guy that you would want to put on his former teammate, Kevin Durant. Nick Young, uh, is, no, I disagree with that. I think you he think can. Do, he can? I mean, he, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a lot of length and he's a smart player. I mean, he, he's kind of injury prone a little bit as well. Part of the, I mean, I don't want to say that because obviously he had that bad incident with the, the police that wasn't his fault, but he's suffered some other injuries as well. Had, had a groin injury that basically shelved him for that playoff series against the, the Hawks this year. But no, I mean, he's got some length. Like he used to play against him in practice. He's pretty good core strength. Like he's, I mean, he's better. He'd do a better job of it than anyone on their roster right now. Oh, that's for sure. I'm more worried about him offensively. Yeah, considering it takes a sundial to get his three-point shot ready. And a lot of the <laughs> other guys that are fits are more on the three side than the three and D. Nick Young, Brandon Rush, Jonas Jerebko, Omri Caspi, former Cav. Those guys are are on the three side of it. And so, you know, the, the, then you're sitting there going, well, why are we going to pay that guy if we're also going to pay Kyle Korver? And maybe they're not going to pay Kyle Korver, but I expect that that's a possibility. Yeah, not all, like Rush, for example, wouldn't require the entire mini mid-level I, I don't think caspi will see it i mean he had a utterly forgettable stint in cleveland uh recall he was involved in the trade that the king sent out that topped uh started at 12 and got down to 10 protected pick that they finally heroically managed to keep it after yet another losing season this year and i feel like we have to mention the other player was jj hickson just for enjoyment of, yeah. of the whole thing and that that's uh, another example of like the ridiculousness that that memphis pick that's bouncing around this year that was because of most Bates and wayne ellington it's like these guys that are still in the league but you never associate them with the team that made that trade yeah, and that was to dump those guys. Correct, to Cleveland. That, that Memphis pick, yeah. I would talk to Taj Gibson, but indications are he's going to be more expensive than that. Uh, Patrick Patterson, same thing. I think Nene might be someone that, that could be useful. Uh, you mentioned Jarebko. David Lee could be another guy as well, maybe, that uh, I think a, as a backup center who could run some pick and roll and pass it could be useful. And yeah, not, nothing too sexy. I think on the 
I might actually take a look at James Young who, as a shooter, just someone who can bring some youth in, maybe improve. I mean, he has a, he has a does have a sweet stroke. He's someone who maybe could blossom around LeBron, although he doesn't help their defense. Just to get some more young players in the pipeline a little bit, give them some bets that could pay off over the next couple of years. Should we talk about their uh, pending free agents now? Yeah, I think that we should. And what makes them different than a couple other teams is just the the varying dynamics between the players. So Kyle Korver, 36 years old, but they have full bird rights on him. So you can you can think about that in a couple different ways. You can say, oh, well, that's great. They can bring him back. But also, oh, God, that could get really expensive and, you know, end up end up becoming one of those deals, kind of like the one with Mike Miller, where you understand why they made it. But then it ends up because it ends up hurting them later on. That could end up happening as well. Uh, Yeah. What would you offer? be for Kyle Corver especially Oof. considering their tax concerns well yeah it, it, yeah considering their tax concerns I'd love to get him for like three years starting at about seven and a half million but I don't think he's going to take that yeah and even that remember at this level we're talking about that's 30 million dollars maybe 40 million depending on what other signings are made that's uh and and i mean if you're if you're gonna say all right as dan gilbert there is like a hard cap here i'm only willing to spend so much i think you can better spend that money using the mini mid-level on somebody else uh but the, the issue with corver is you have him and you you he's the one guy that you could actually have full bird rights on to pay because there are other guys uh darren williams in particular is a guy who they would need to break into the mini mid-level to probably sign him unless he wants to just come back for the minimum which i, I mean he can get, get a lot more than that but by the way as an aside i mean derek darren williams is a good player right like he was starting for dallas you know lower end starting point guard when he when he can stay on the floor pretty amazing the quality of play in these finals that he was like a massive liability for like most of the finals that like a player like that who's like a lower end starting point guard in the league like can't even be on the floor most of the time in the finals it didn't help that he kept on missing shots but yeah it still was it still was notable especially considering the Warriors backup point guards which isn't necessarily who he was playing do not dominate the game like a lot of the other players they have yeah but it's just incredible I mean this is this is the crucible that Cleveland is in now it's just to try and go up against this team where you just cannot have weak points out there if you expect to to stop them and even then you probably can't you know good I mean, luck Felder. yeah uh so yeah, I mean that seven million dollar. I, I think if they offered him that, he he would he would probably take it. I bet you three years, twenty one million. I think he would take that. I I don't know that the market for Corver is going to be quite as robust necessarily, uh, especially. But you never know. I mean, there could still be more cap space around the league to, than we think. But I think Corver at this point will be wanting to be a, on a team that I mean he hasn't made a ton of money in his career, but he'll be wanting to be on a team that's a contender. And I think it was important for him to make the finals. And he also I think feels like he has unfinished business you know he said he's gonna be thinking about that game three shot in the corner for a long time that it could have put him up five and iced the game uh under a minute left yeah and then they also just to to be clear Derek Williams also on a minimum contract he's non-bird as well so you basically would have to use cap space or a minimum to re-sign him Dante Jones uh, same thing well they could just sign him on the last day of the year for five thousand dollars yeah yeah James Jones uh I think they have they have full bird rights on him (laughs) but I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't obviously wouldn't pay him more than the minimum 
Uh, another guy I would consider for them in the free agent market would be Michael Carter Williams. I think actually with the amount of shooting that they have on this roster and also the way they like to exploit mismatches that he actually could maybe rehabilitate his career a little bit there and be their backup point guard, like get into the post against some mismatches and you know, make some more passes, be in like a, a good culture. He'd be someone that I'd look at again as another way to just maybe take some bets on a younger player who could start to work out for you. And you could all always see them going for just you know a jose calderon type of guy at the minimum just caretaker another backup point guard if they can't bring back darren williams yeah there are going to be plenty of those options around the league of just kind of floater floater guys and then we should talk a little bit about the idea so they they could use some of their taxpayer mid-level exception to sign osman if they wanted to and they may need to do that. I don't know that I'm not sure where his buyout is at this point, but the talk has always been that it's much easier for him to come over this year after two years playing in Turkey. If I had to describe Osmond's game, I would describe him as kind of like the shooting guard version of a Mike Dunleavy, like very knows the angles of the game, smart passer, can shoot it, probably not as good of a shooter as Dunleavy was later in his career, but a solid three-point shooter, likes, has some pretty good feel, can get to the rim a little bit off the dribble. Now, exceedingly thin, you have to imagine it'll be a massive defensive liability. I don't see him necessarily contributing, especially at the highest levels against a Boston uh, or a Golden state because i expect boston potentially to be better next year as well but uh, that's a question i mean if because they have the exclusive negotiating rights to him but they also can pay him whatever they want and he may have some sort of a buyout so they may need to break into that taxpayer mid-level a little bit to sign him and and your other problem too is that if you the only other thing they can do is just offer him a two-year minimum contract and then he's a restricted free agent in two years and you got to pay him more if he starts working out so they'd want the ability to offer him a three-year deal uh, which they could with that uh, you using some of that tax pyramid level on him. And that's exactly what they did last year, where they used part of the mini mid-level to give Richard Jefferson more money and part of it to give Kay Felder a three-year contract because they couldn't pay him the minimum for three years. They also have a trade exception that expires at the next uh, trade deadline, 4.8. No, I'm sorry, not the next trade deadline. They traded for Corville earlier, but uh, next winter, 4.8 million for Mike Dunleavy. Nobody who really comes to mind at this point that they could target there i mean and really the only thing they could trade is either osmond or their 2021 or later first rounder and anyone who's a good player who's making 4.8 million or less you know do you it's going to take a lot to get that type of a player maybe more than just a crappy first rounder um or osmond i would agree with that all right anything else you wanted to say about them before we get to frank tilakina no, I, well, the other thing we should mention is just that there's still intrigue on who's going to be running this front office. I mean, oh, yeah. David Griffin is under contract through July, right? Yeah, through the end of July. So I think, and the Cavs thus far have denied permission to talk to him. It looks like the Bucks process is going to be wrapping up and then there aren't really any other clear GM openings. Maybe Phoenix is actually the closest one to having one. And I highly doubt that Dave Griffin's going to want to go back there to work under Robert Sarver, with whom he had his differences back in the day. So without any openings, maybe he'll come back. But Dan Gilbert, especially because he's going to be in money-saving mode, but again you know lebron james probably is pleased with what david griffin has done and do you want to anger lebron by not bringing him back you know i think he'll feel like he has the organization over a barrel he'll be there long enough to run their off season it sounds like but after that uh yeah it'll be very interesting to see it and you know i don't know that they have anyone at least that i know in the organization who you look at because remember griffin was the assistant gm for chris grant and i don't think they really hired anyone with a lot of experience after griffin took 
took over you know they have a lot of like smart young guys there but nobody with a ton of pedigree that comes to mind for me maybe i'm forgetting about someone for let me know if i am but uh that you just could say oh yeah this guy will just take over for us if he leaves i don't know anybody offhand i you're more knowledgeable about those appointments than i am uh, let's get to frank tilakina now his measurements six foot five pretty skinny 170 pounds very young uh doesn't turn 19 until july would be one of the youngest players in this draft uh currently playing with strasbourg in uh french pro a they also played in the european champions league which is kind of a level below the euro league but playing against teams from other countries in europe as well he i don't know if we have exact wingspan numbers on him he doesn't have it on drafts express but definitely looks like he has you know if i had to guess just watching him you know between a 6'8 and 6'10 wingspan he is i asked a point somebody guard. i asked yeah. somebody and they said 6'11 I, okay yeah I, I i would believe that absolutely yeah i was hoping he was going to get measured because he happened to be in treviso for not for the Eurocamp. he was there i think he met with mark cuban and i was hoping they were going to measure him but it doesn't sound like they did the first type of player that comes to mind for me when watching him is like a Drew Holiday, George Hill type of player. Longer, hybrid point guard size. I think defensively, that's probably what stands out to me the most about him. That and his shooting ability. He's shooting extremely well both at the u18 european championships he was ridiculous uh in that competition he took 43 jump shots and scored 63 points <laughs> he was uh 24 out of 43 e field goal percentage is 73 percent uh on those and a lot of those were just off the dribble looks late in the shot clock against switches and his spot up shooting as well uh, in the French Pro A, uh, not bad. Uh, he was forty percent on threes across all competitions as he was playing about nineteen minutes a game for being an eighteen year old playing in, in against professionals. I mean, there's not like the French league isn't amazing, but I think it's getting a little bit better. And they've got guys who you know have had cups of coffee in the NBA who, who are you know good professional players, men. Uh, so those are the two things that really stick out to me. We'll talk more about his defense later. Not very dynamic to me though with the ball in his hands as a guy who really uh gets to the basket and finishes i think a lot of what makes tilkina intriguing and what makes him unusual is the label of him as a point guard because if you saw him as an off guard who can run stuff sometimes a lot of those question marks become potential upside but if you're thinking of him as a point guard that can defend other positions then you start to think oh well how well can he actually run an offense and i have legitimate concerns about that he doesn't create that much separation with the ball in his hands he does have some shiftiness he has, does have a little bit but not not blowing you away in that sort of way and i also think he's way more comfortable shooting off a catch than shooting off the dribble he did have some big plays in the u18 final against lithuania he had some really nice off uh, off dribble jump shots but i think that what what i like about him in some ways and this is the same thing i got suckered into with dante exum is the idea that if it doesn't work at the one I think he can play off ball and do a good job. And I think he's better at that than Exum would be and will be. Yeah, Exum's an interesting c comparison. I think Exum, much more more speed than him, more athleticism, maybe even a, a better natural passer. Uh, Tilkin, you know, a much better shooter than Exum, even uh, three years later now. Uh, much better shot for him, more versatile jump shot, better spot shooter. Exum, we know he struggles. But similar body types, uh, for sure. Exum, I think he's like 6'6 with a 6'9 wingspan. This will give you some idea. Yeah, right we mentioned that incredible outside shooting performance in the u18s 
He took 43 jumpers. He had five shots around the basket in the entire tournament. Like I, that looks like a misprint to me. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, can that really be right? Uh, and he made one out of five of those <laughs> as well. Uh, he just in general never gets uh, gets to the foul line. Uh, pretty low usage, 16% usage. That's not as much of a surprise. He's playing more with pros. When he does get to the rim, not very much craft finishing whatsoever. Well, I want to mention he, before he, you yeah. get to the to the free throw line thing for reference so in both league play and then in the uh in the euro league and all those kind of things in recent years he's playing let's ballpark it at about 18 20 minutes a game he's averaging less than two free throw attempts per 1.57 yeah. and then uh and then less than one per game in in league play that's exceedingly little for how much time he has the ball in his hands yeah, and he doesn't know how to attack guys' bodies. He doesn't have a ton of explosion through him. He has the length, but he doesn't really get great extension. He's if you imagine like you know we always talk about Dennis Schroeder doesn't have that much craft finishing around the basket. He's kind of the same way where it's just like all right, he goes towards the rim and he's going to hope to beat you there and he'll either shoot a layup or kind of just like uh, throw it up a little bit with that, without much craft. But he doesn't have anywhere near the athletic tools that, that Schroeder does to actually use that speed and get to the basket. Uh, on shots around the basket in the French league. He had 47 points on 46 possessions. That's obviously not very good. That's like shooting basically 50% at the rim. And he has no floater game whatsoever. He only took five runners this season, was 0 for 5 on those. So, and I think he's really would need to develop that kind of a floater game as well. But, it's uh so if you're expecting him to be like the number one initiator of the offense you know, I don't know that he can do that I think his passing it's okay you know not again not amazing especially because he doesn't have a ton of ability to draw the defense and create openings for his teammates but he wasn't like horrible yeah he, he also had some bad turnovers I mean the, the other limitation he has in addition to his ability to get to the basket is or to finish at the basket his ability to get there in the first place because his handle is not very advanced you mentioned that he doesn't really have a ton of moves you know, he's got an in and out every once in a while a crossover hesitation in a straight line but you'll see him get pressured up and like you know just get ripped up at half court or just when he's trying to make his move he'll just get it tipped away a lot of times he's not comfortable with pressure as a lot of big point guards are sometimes but he doesn't have really the strength to keep guys off of his body at this point I think he'll fill out a, a little bit but uh yeah he doesn't really seem to beat his guy in a straight line very often even when you know for example the other team is playing ice coverage and the big will just like forget to get there like he's not really able to blow by his guy and get a layup even when he's being given a certain area um transition also and, and by the way i i don't want to sound like i'm that down on him i mean we're talking about his weaknesses a lot first here you know it's just that to make it clear i don't think he has like star potential i think he actually has a lot of potential to play a solid role and be a good player in the league who, who helps you for a long time and could maybe be a starter if you have reasonable expectations for him and you have another guy who can handle it but uh transition only 12 percent of his possessions in transition that's very low for a point guard especially an nba draft prospect uh and just doesn't really push the ball hard again not the confidence in his handle doesn't he's not going to just blow by guys and transition beat you down the floor like he's not that type of an athlete he's not and i wonder though what he can be we you mentioned how young he is that he you know he's not 18 now doesn't turn 19 until after summer league that some of his weak points can develop and also we're not sure that he's necessarily done growing i think his body's going to fill out more and if he can 
could get to that point, then you start talking about him being switchable one through three. And we know, based on what we've just seen in the playoffs, how valuable those type of players can be, whether they're primarily on ball or off ball. Yeah, I think so. Let's talk about his defense, which is probably other than the outside shooting. And I do think one nice thing is that if you play a pick and roll, he plays pick and roll, he'll be someone that you can't go under on. I think it's shooting. I mean, because remember too, we're not talking about like college three-pointers here. We're talking about him being a year younger than most college freshmen. And we're talking about him hitting that 22 foot FIBA three-pointer at 40% in both, you know, when he's on the ball more in the U18s. And then also, you know, that shooting is unsustainable, obviously, but then also, you know, playing off the ball, spotting up a little bit more playing for Strasbourg. So I think that he's, you know, again, could be someone who doesn't have like a ton of weaknesses. He's not going to take much off the table. And then that, that extends to his defense as well. It really does. And we we cracked up because when we were watching footage on him, we were started with offense, but you could see some of his defensive plays leading to offensive plays. And he he isn't that kind of obnoxiously dominant where, you know, you can just, yeah. just you see them suffocating everything, but he's around a lot when good things happen. And he's, and it's in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect like good contests when you wouldn't expect him to necessarily be there getting a hand in a passing lane things like that i thought that just his ability to move his feet and compete and stay in front of guys was impressive he's not that strong yet but again i think he can fill out to be you know a solid body for a point guard he avoids fouling, uh, not like in a crazy steal rate, but solid uh, 1.8 steals per 40 minutes. And his ability to get over screens and compete and then use his length to bother jump shots from behind or get back in front of his man once he gets screened off, avoiding getting screened off to begin with. All that is impressive. Mike Schmitz was saying he thinks that he could play three positions maybe eventually on defense, at least in terms of switching. I think a lot of that depends how strong he gets to know whether he can really guard some of the best threes on a switch that certainly would be a powerful weapon if he could but yeah i mean i think really the george hill comparison is one that comes to mind for me a lot I don't know that he'll ever have like some of the craft that George Hill has developed late in his career in the pick and roll. And George, remember, uh, he played at IUPUI and was scoring like 27 a game his senior year uh, before I think he was the 27th pick uh, to the Spurs. But he, uh, I mean, I, I think he can be a solid player. You just, you better have someone else who can do something off the dribble on your team. And, and I, mean, I mean, he's probably even a notch below, like I compared him to Drew Holiday. I think he's probably even a notch below him uh, unless he just like really tightens up his handle or really gets more athletic or really develops a floater game uh, or really gets some craft and is able to get some extension around the basket like he'll dunk but it's not really like very impressive you know it's really more kind of based on on his length um and he's a skinny guy you know those guys can get more athletic but i i don't see him as as you know someone who, who is gonna be a big time athlete at the nba level but yeah the fact that he just can play a role i think is very appealing and you know certainly i wouldn't have him in the same category of De'Aaron fox or dennis smith and those guys are just much more athletic have the possibility of being like a great lead point guard but you know i think if you're just looking like hey we want to draft someone that we think can be a solid starter and three years uh, he would be someone that you could look at and uh, you know those guys are valuable players there is a growing group of particularly point guards in the league that are a little bit bigger than point guards of the past more in the 6-3-6-4 range that aren't particularly good at guarding point guards and I think that Frank could be very useful as a complimentary piece to somebody like that who can create off the bounce who could I mean incidentally Kyrie Irving I think he'd be an intriguing fit next to him and put Frank on the on the better guy and then you put this talented offensive creator that you have to have on the floor because that's the reason your offense goes. You have 
that player. And so you you get that that versatility that really does work. I think Tokina is going to do a good job off the dribble. I'm sorry, not off the dribble, uh, a catch and shoot. He can do okay off the dribble. But if you have him as a secondary option, then if, you know, the team is helping off him and then he, he gets a closeout, then you can go back to those point guard instincts, make a couple dribbles, make a good pass, maybe hit a maybe hit a shot at that point, or even just dribble to the side and shoot a three-pointer. I think he can fit really well in that role. And why I really like that in the current league is there are a lot of good point guards out there now. And so he doesn't, he he's not going to be the straw that stirs the drink, but you need those players too. And we just talked about Cleveland. You know, Cleveland needs players like this and they're one of the best teams in the league. Everybody needs players like him. And it's, now that it looks like he's not going to be a top five pick, like the buzz was about a year ago at this time, I think he'll end up somewhere and make that team very happy. Yeah, he is currently mocked in Draft Express's new draft or mock draft as potentially going number 10 overall to the Kings which I think would be an interesting fit. I think they could use someone with a little more juice off the bounce. Just for, for uh, curiosity, they still got Marco Fultz one, ball two to the Lakers, Josh Jackson, the Sixers, De'Aaron Fox, four to the Suns, Jason Tatum, five to the Kings, Jonathan Isaac to the Magic, Lowry Markinen, uh, who we're going to get to still. We've still got a couple more. He and Monk, we still got to do. Uh, to the Wolves, Malik Monk to the Knicks, Dennis Smith to the Mavs, and uh, Tilakina to the Kings. How would you like Tilakina with Jamal Murray, one of our favorites from last year? I don't know if uh, I think Tilakina would be better than Emmanuel Moutier, but I mean, and, and he's not better than Gary Harris either. So I, I don't think he would be a great fit in, in Denver necessarily. Well, I mean, my thought is that pick... he'd be the third guard, be the third guard. Yeah. Maybe you move Moutier in something else. He's not my favorite. I still, I'm, I'm shipping Jonathan Isaac there. That's the fit that I really like. But you know, if he started falling a little bit and they couldn't get higher, I think he'd be an intriguing, intriguing guy for them to add just to add depth to that rotation, considering that there aren't any small forwards in this draft, basically after the top six or whatever. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to our sponsor today, Betterment. Betterment.com slash Catspace is the URL to get up to six months of no fees. And of course, support the program. We'll be back tomorrow. Big Warriors podcast. Going to have KP on, talk about where this Warriors team fits in the pantheon of the all-time great teams i also want to talk about this cavaliers team because i i had an interesting thought last night after the game of where do they rank in terms of best performances by a finals loser i think despite it being five games spoiler i think it could, could be pretty high i'm going to talk to kp about that you know just for like 20 minutes and then danny and i will be back to preview golden state's off season as well and we may do one other offseason preview too depending on how much time we have left so looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow night till then At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.